we're looking at Genesis chapter 31 this morning, and it's, it's a long chapter. Uh, it's about where Jacob, the patriarch, leaves Laban and goes back home after 20 years of being away from home. And I want to read just the first three verses this morning, uh, but you can be following along in your Bibles uh, with a story in Genesis chapter 31, 1 through 55. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that even Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Again, Jacob has been gone for 20 years from home. His mother, Rebekah, has passed away during those 20 years. His father, Isaac, is still there, and his brother, Esau, from whom he's been running away from, is still there, and yet he knows it's time to go home, face Esau, and go back home. Six years earlier, God had began to put that passion and that desire in Jacob to return home. And yet God gave him a plan for staying. And, and because at that time he was just going to leave with his wives and his children and just go back home uh, with nothing. But God gave him a plan to prosper him and to bless him before he went back. And so um, he did that. We talked about that last Sunday. And uh, God was going to make sure he got rewarded for all the hard work that he'd put in over those 14 years and then over the next six years. Now the circumstances were beginning to line up in the life of Jacob so that he could return home with more than just his family, with a lot of possessions also. His circumstances that were lining up for him to be able to feel like, yes, this was the right time to go, were th was this. He had new wealth, mostly in animals, that uh, God had given a plan for. And it was a ridiculous plan. You will remember that only about 2% of the sheep he, he said, you know, I'll take the spotted and the streak ones. And those were only about 2% of the sheep and goats. And yet God blessed that in such a way that it became uh, a great number uh, of the sheep and the goats. And so those went to him. The other thing that happened is all of a sudden the in-laws... His brothers and sisters no longer appreciated him. They began to think that, that uh, Laban's wealth and their inheritance was shrinking because of him. And so they really didn't want him around anymore. Um, God spoke to him directly and told him, now is the time for you to leave. And so that was a third thing that lined up in the circumstances. And the fourth one is he went and talked to his two wives, Rachel and Leah, and they both agreed that it was time to move. If you're really searching for God's direction, God will be faithful to direct you in major changes in your life. Give him time. It took some time here, but God lined up all of these things in Jacob's life so that he knew, even though God had put the desire there six years earlier, and sometimes God gives you a desire way out in front. Uh, when he actually wants you to do something, he begins to plant the desire. And, and then 
other things line up and circumstances line up and you just know this is the time to move ahead. And, and God did that for Jacob. And God will be faithful to direct you in major changes in your life. And he will use a variety of things to point you in the way that you should go. And pretty soon it will go from just an idea to being more of a nudge or a push or a shove. And you will know that God is saying, now is the time to move forward in a new direction. Jacob goes to get the permission of his wives. God is very much aware that you and I don't live on an island. Everything I do affects Priscilla. Everything Priscilla does affects me and our family and all those kind of things. We, he knows that we do not live on an island. And it is one thing here for Jacob to leave and go back home. It is an entirely different thing for Rachel and Leah, who had never been anywhere else, had never been away from Laban, had never been away from their home to leave the only thing they had known. So Jacob does a couple of things here. He calls his wives away from their tents and out into the field where there's no one else around, no one to overhear or anything else, and he has a conversation with them where they're alone. He tells them, as if they didn't know, about the change of attitude that their family, her, their family has had towards him. He goes ahead, he reminds them of how Laban has been unfair towards him, how he's changed the wages. Every time um, something happens, Laban will change the wages so it benefits him instead of Jacob. And... He reminds him of how God had provided for him a financial plan to get ahead and, and to be prosperous. And then he tells them, and now God has directed me. God has told me that it's time to go, to leave and go back home. And he says, now what do you think? <laughs> Jacob must have been a little bit more than surprised at their response. They hadn't been blind to the events of the last 20 years. Rachel and Leah didn't agree on hardly anything, but they agreed that their father Laban had not been fair to Jacob. They agreed that his attitude stunk even towards them. And they agreed that there wasn't a future there for them at home anymore, and that Jacob... They said, well, you should obey God. <laughs> you should go ahead and get on the road. We don't know what all her motives were. But Rachel didn't leave right. She stole Laban's household gods while he was gone shearing sheep. That tells us that Laban, first of all, was an idolater, that he hadn't, he hadn't come around to believing in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he was still worshiping idols. And it tells us that Laban's idolatry had become a real genuine threat to Jacob's family, to Jacob's faith and to his family. And it also tells us that Rachel is a thief. Jacob left, and he left in obedience. 
even if he didn't leave in a very transparent faith. He left in deceptive secrecy. He left without Laban knowing what he was doing, without giving Laban any warning at all. Now, you might remember that Laban was the one who had put three days distance between him and Jacob and and Jacob's sheep over here and his were three days over here and he'd separated them so that they, they weren't together very much in the family and all of that. And so Jacob took full advantage of that and when it was time for him to go, he just left. Rebecca or Rachel obviously had enough time to go home to Laban and steal the household goods. But when she got back, they took off. So there's three days that Laban has. If he's going to try to catch up to them, he's got three days he's already lost to, to move. And then, to, on top of that, try to catch up and go faster than he does. And so it takes a week for Laban to catch up to Jacob. The interesting thing is, and I don't know why, still to this time, why we are told this, but Laban grabs his relatives, I'm assuming his, his sons, and he pursues Jacob. It takes him a full week to catch up to him, and we know from later in the story that Laban was very much aware that his household goods had been stolen. He seems to be much more interested in catching up to them to get his household goods his idols, then he was interested in catching up to his daughters and grandchildren. They were probably his primary motive in chasing Jacob down. And once he gets there to Jacob, he rests before confronting Jacob spends the night, and God comes and confronts Laban in a dream, and he tells him to be very careful how he deals with Jacob, but not to say anything good or bad towards him. (laughs) In the morning, Laban goes and he confronts, and he complains to Jacob. He says, you deceived me. You took off, and I didn't even know you were gone. You took my daughter's. He doesn't say that they are his wives that he worked for for 14 years to get. He says, those are my daughters and my grandchildren. You took them like captives. Well, and he hadn't done that at all, had he? They were willing. They wanted to go with him. But he accused them of taking his daughters like captives. He says, you left secretly. He said, you didn't even give me an opportunity to send them off with a party like he would have done that anyway. (laughs) But he threw that in for good measure. And then he says, you didn't let me give a good farewell to my daughters and my grandchildren and kiss them goodbye. And then Laban says to Jacob, you know, I have the right to harm you. I have the right to hurt you. And he said, He basically said, and I would have, but God got in the way. (laughs) God came to him during the night and told him not to harm Jacob. That's still not the end of it. Laban goes on a little bit further and he judges the motives of Jacob and he says, you're doing this just because you're homesick. 
He doesn't know Jacob. He doesn't know whether he's homesick or not. Jacob had all these other reasons for going, and he spent 20 years. But he comes in and just accuses him of being homesick. And then he says to Jacob, and what's more, you stole my household idols. Which wasn't true either. Rachel, his wife, had. But he didn't know that. Jacob does not admit to stealing those to being homesick. But he does admit to fear. He does admit to the fact that he did not leave in faith. He, he admitted to the fact that he thought if he went and told Laban what he was going to do and that he was going to leave, that Laban somehow would take his daughters and keep them as captives. <laughs> and so he says, yeah, there was fear. I just feared that I would end up leaving all by myself with, with nothing. And then Jacob makes an oath that he comes to regret. He makes an oath that whoever is found with those household idols of Laban's would not live. Jacob tells Laban, you just go right ahead, check it out to see if there's anything that belongs to him with all of them. And Laban went right to it. He couldn't wait. Laban started going through the tents. And it was not long, by the way, before Rachel um, ends up dying in childbirth. Jacob didn't know that Rachel was the one who had stolen those goods. And before they ever get all the way back home, Rachel dies in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. And Jacob loses his wife because of the oath he took. Laban searches the tents. He finds nothing. Rachel had hidden them in her camel saddle, and she was sitting on them. And on top of that, Rachel claims, we don't know whether it's true or not, but she claims that she was having her monthly period, and therefore it was not proper for her to stand in the presence of a man or to get up off of her donkey in the presence of a man. And so she's able to sit there on top of the stolen idols on this donkey. And Laban does not find anything. It's not perhaps all that humorous to us, but there's a good bit of humor communicated by Moses in this little story. For the idols of Laban, they were powerless. They were powerless to keep themselves from being stolen. They were powerless to speak, and they, they could not speak up when Laban was looking for them to be found. They couldn't speak. They couldn't talk. They couldn't do anything. They just sat there on the donkey while a woman sits on them. <laughs> and then on top of that, and the Israelites would know this as Moses tells the story to the Israelites, while they were being sat on by Rachel, they were being made unclean by a woman who was having her monthly period. And, and so you have this, this idol that is absolutely powerless and worthless. It cannot speak, it cannot protect itself, and it's being made unclean, this, this God that Laban worships. And there it is. 
And if you follow the story just a little bit further and you go over to Genesis chapter 35, which we'll get to someday, um, you find that Laban's idols get all the way to Shechem. And then they are buried in the garbage under an oak tree at Shechem. And the contrast is there that Laban has been worshiping this idol and the things that so often become so important to us that we will chase somebody 300 miles to to go ahead and get back in our life. Sometimes the idols in our lives are just that worthless. They have no power in themselves. They can't speak for themselves. They're unclean. Uh, And they're basically garbage, and that's where it belongs. And yet, you and I tend to allow sometimes things like that to become the primary gods of our lives. Be very, very careful what you allow to become so important in your life that it grasps control of you, and you do irrational things like make a 300-mile trip on camels to rescue (laughs) your idols. Jacob has finally had enough at this point. He's angry with Laban for going through everything and making a mess, especially after all the years of not being fairly treated by Laban. Then we are told of how Laban has grown in his character, and Laban, or, or Jacob starts to talk about some of the things that he had done in those last six years when Laban's sheep would get injured or killed by a wolf or by some other predatory animal. Jacob would take and replace that out of his own flock. There was, there was growth in his life and in his character. And, and you could see that God was doing a new work in the life of Jacob even during those last six years. But again, Jacob is unaware that Rachel had stolen the idols. And he becomes angry here with Laban. And he says, here you have come all this way and you've torn up our tents and gone through everything. And especially you do that, especially after mistreating me for these 20 years. Especially after I worked hard for you to get, first of all, Rachel and you give me Leah. And then I worked another seven years to get Rachel, and then I worked for the livestock and all of that, and I replaced sheep loss out of my own pocket, and I never ate, fed my family off of your livestock, and he provided excellent care for your flock. And yet you kept changing the wages ten times over the years. And so Jacob is very, very clear with Laban what he's upset about. Jacob tells Laban, if it hadn't been for God, he wouldn't have anything at all. He would have just left without anything. But he stood up here and he gave God the credit. He said, if it had not been for God, I would have nothing. And then he said, he said, God saw this and he was the one that rebuked you in that dream you had where where God told you not to touch me. How does Laban respond at that point? 
Laban refused all correction. He refused any rebuke. He was hard-headed, hard-hearted. He tells, after all of that, and after 20 years of working, after 14 years of working for his two wives, Laban says to Jacob, Rachel and Leah are mine, not yours. Your grandchildren are mine, not yours. And everything I see here, everything in the tents and everything here is mine, not yours. Laban is a wicked, evil man. But then Laban suggests a treaty. He says, there isn't anything I can do about this. I can't bring all this back. They won't go back with me anyway. All I can do is release you and let you go. But he said, I want a treaty. I want to make sure that um, you aren't going to harm me anymore. And you want to make sure that you aren't going to harm. I'm not going to harm you. So they make a treaty to agree to disagree. And sometimes in life, that is the best treaty we can make. (laughs) Agree to disagree. They set up a pillar as a monument to the occasion, but they couldn't even agree on the name of the pillar. (laughs) You read the story, and you go down to about verse 45, and you see that Laban names it one thing, and Jacob names it something else, because they can't agree on much of anything. But they have this pillar and they make this treaty with each other. In Middle East fashion, they they eat a meal together and they celebrate this treaty of peace. I want you to notice here, they are not going to trust each other. They have agreed that they are not going to trust each other. They have agreed that they're going to separate ways And they're going to agree before God not to journey towards each other or to harm each other anymore. And here's something I want want to say from that. Forgiveness does not always equal trust. There are some people you should forgive for your own benefit. But if you're wise, you will not trust them again. (laughs) Forgiveness does not equal trust. Forgiveness means you release so that you can be healthy. But it may not heal the relationship itself. And that is what we're seeing here. We see two men one who is on his way to becoming a righteous man, a patriarch of God, and the other one who is just evil, and they have split ways, and they have agreed to disagree, and they've made a treaty with each other. (laughs) But there's not real peace there. They've just agreed that you are not going to trust me, and I'm not going to trust you, and that's where we're at. The scripture tells us in the New Testament to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
And sometimes in those difficult relationships that you and I have, we need to be, we need to practice that. We need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so they camp out together for a night. (laughs) And then in the morning, Laban comes up and he kisses his daughters and his grandchildren, kind of a fake (laughs) farewell. And he goes back home and they journey on towards their new home and they never see each other again. Well, what do we do with this passage? A couple of things. First of all, sometimes God's people need to separate themselves from the things of this world that will hinder them from growing spiritually. Sometimes it's just silly things that you and I tend to make idols in our life. Jacob, in this case, had been with Laban quite long enough. Laban's ways of deception, his theft... His idolatry were beginning to infect Jacob's family and his wife, Rachel, in particular. John Calvin says our hearts are idol factories. The things we turn to in tough times. The things we turn to when we're really bored stiff. The things we turn to when we're lonely. Those things can tend to quickly become idols in our life. Watch yourself what you do in those times when you're bored, when you're lonely, when you're hurting. Watch what you tend to gravitate to for comfort because those things can easily become the idols in your life that take over. Run to God. The third thing I would say this morning in in concluding this message is often the best way to make a break is a clean break. Like that of Jacob. Those are hard, but they're not harder than a soft break. Rachel tried the soft break route. She was going to leave, but she was going to take her father's idols and his thievery and his spirit of of deception with her. So it was kind of a soft break. She wasn't just going to walk away and have a clean break and go to the new land like Jacob did here. She was actually sitting on her worthless idols. And I want to say to you very carefully this morning, we are never truly satisfied spiritually until we are fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God was in that work. You you know, we've we've gone through the whole story of Jacob pretty much now. And and Jacob was not a great patriarch. (laughs) But God was his God. And God was about making Jacob into a man that God saw him as. And every one of us, we start somewhere. And God's still got a lot of work to do in my life. But God's at that work. 
And God's got work to do in every one of you. And he will be faithful to complete that work as you and I cooperate with him. But you do need to be aware that that work is sometimes progressive. It's just continually, day by day, keeping in step with the Spirit. And then there are other times when you and I just need to make a clean break. And we need to say, enough of this. Under the leadership and direction of God, saying, now it's time to move on. I need to leave that behind, and I need to move over here and be different.